Recorded live. Tunic, Arizona on April the 22nd, 2018. Good morning, folks. Those of you who are living somewhere else other than God's country, we pity you. First thing I want to say today is that we're in chapter, actually, lesson number 5A, and last Sunday was 5A, and today is 5B. Had not intended to go uh, into this direction, but because of emails, uh, we decided to expand on laws one and two. And so we've placed them between lesson number five and number six. First thing I want to say today is clean up your act. Well, that's all. I'm going home. <laughs> well, the first thing I have in the notes from what I gave to you a week ago for, to, for last Sunday was clean your diet of all refined foods. Now that's difficult to do. It'd be easier just to say just to, that we need to fast. Just eat what? Just fat. We need to fast. Alex, fast. Oh, fast. Oh, yeah. Fasting is good. You take a, you take a five-year fast and you'll not have any more problems. <laughs> Guaranteed. So, but it's very difficult to do, and that means no comfort foods. We have to be careful about that. And that's even more difficult not to have and divulge in any comfort foods. But my point in that is this, that we have to clean our minds of all refined religion. Refined religion has its own creed that distinguish it from the other religions that have a different creed. We have to clean our mind of all the refined religion that we've been exposed to most of our lives. Those religions that have an earthly headquarter, that have an earthly system other than the local congregation, we must clean our mind of all of refined religion and that's some of, the pro- some of the purposes that we are conducting this series on Bible basics about. That's what it's about. And that's more difficult. And that means no comfort religion. That means the religions that are there to appease you and to make you feel good and to give you a high. No more of that. No comfort religion. And that's even more difficult. So we have to remove all harmful thinking patterns from our minds. We have to buy truth. Let that be your motive for today. Sometimes the avoidance of God in our thoughts and life, it causes a hardening of the heart. And so our aim in this series is to restore the flow of truth and the rebuilding of the heart to be sensitive to the Word of God. The process is in your hands, and you always have the choice. Everyone has that choice. Now, to pick up where we were last week, we talked about laws one and two. The first law is, as everybody here knows, is the um, do all that you have agreed to do. And 
people don't think that through as to how far that extends. Uh, we have some folks not actually tuned in today because they're out resolving some conflicts of 25, 30 years, traveling miles to resolve conflicts as a result of this, uh, these ideas. And folks, we have to resolve conflicts with people. We don't want to die, face God, not having, unre having or having unresolved conflicts. Let's get our conflicts straightened out, and now is the time to do it, not tomorrow. And the second law, of course, is, as we have learned over and over again, is that we do not infringe on another person or their property. And the questions that came out of that is, well, but what if we're the victim? We haven't dealt with that side of it, but we did last week in Lesson 5A. Today I want to finish that up real quickly, and hopefully we get back into um, and move into basic Bible basics number six. Not sure we'll get there. So we spoke of last week of the receiving side of the violation of the two laws where you have had someone else violate you in one way or another, either verbally or by the breach of contract or have infringed upon you or your property. How do we deal with that? The Bible is very clear about that. Now, there are some things that cannot be mended. There are some things that must be mended, and, and that uh, is by restitution. The Old Testament teaches us that if you steal from somebody, you can amend the problem of that theft by doing what? Returning. By returning it how many times? Uh, Up to seven times. Is that, and so I always invite people to come into my garage and steal whatever they want if it's anything valuable. <laughs> Because in order for them to get reconciled to me, they have to restore that seven times or they're out of the will of God. But we don't teach that. You know, you ask the people in the churches today about that issue and you won't find one out of a million who have a clue what you're talking about. They've not been taught the real facts of life, of what the Bible really teaches about how to resolve these kinds of issues. So... So what does the government owe you then? And yeah, <laughs> that's another issue. So last week, um, pursuing that, there are some some things that just cannot be undone. The things that can be undone have to be undone, but they impact us very deeply. And sometimes when we have when we are on the victim side of either law one or two, it tends to develop. And anger. Anger, as we read in Hebrews last week, we've all, I'm not going to read those verses again. If you weren't here, it's your tough luck. You can go back and listen to them. They're there. But it says that if you do not respond to your issue through the processes made by and available to you by the graciousness of God, then you will let your bitterness turn into anger. So the first thing is anger or bitterness. They go, they go hand in hand. We have to take responsibility for that anger or it will ruin us. And as Lori reminded me this morning when she came in from last week, we have to train our minds to respond 
thoughtfully when we are the victim of either law one or law two. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 17, and I didn't give you that to you, but in, in Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 4, How's your gizzard? How's your gizzard this morning? Good, good. Okay, Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 4. Not going to spend much time here, just to but let you know that what we're talking about, Jesus says it was, it is inevitable. You probably don't know what that word means. It means, it is inevitable means to eat possum feet. <laughs> I went to the drugstore yesterday to get a full set of combs, and you're laughing. I mean, a full set of combs. I went in there, and I, I, they asked me, what do you want? I said, well, what I really want is I'm looking for possum foot. Oh, they, and they called help. They had their little computers there, you know. And they typed in possum foot. They couldn't find possum foot anywhere. This is real. And they got all excited. I don't think we carry that product. <laughs> I said, shame, shame. You probably don't have a set of full a full set of combs either. And they said, Why do you want one? <laughs> well, that was none of their business. All right. In chapter seventeen, verse one, he said to his disciples. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. Somebody's going to do something to you that messes your mind up. Count on it. If it's not driving today, it'll be somewhere else. Somebody, somebody's going to irritate you. And by the way, because somebody is irritating you, even if it's a child, that irritation doesn't become a sin. Could, but mainly by you, not by them. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. The laws one and two are going to be violated. They will be violated. You will be violated by them sometime in life. So now is the time for you to get a handle and make a decision. What are you going to do when I am? How do I deal with it? Notice it goes on to say, but woe to him through whom they come. Now that puts a different slant on that. So those who bring to you a, an issue, a violation of laws one and two, that's going to bother you, and it may cause you to stumble, but remember those who cause it, they have to answer for that irresponsibility as well. Now, folks, that makes it serious either way. Either side of that coin you are on, you had better pay attention. <clears throat> well, let me go ahead. I was going to read a couple more here. It would be better for him, that one who violates the law. And remember last week we gave you a passage in James that told you who did God, what institution did God create for the sake of, of correcting laws one and two? Civil government. Civil government. That is the purpose of civil government. 
And, of course, civil government has always limited itself to that function, right? <clears throat> All right. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung, hung, hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. That tells you, folks, Jesus' mind about you violating somebody else or their person or their thinking, mentally, physically, or emotionally. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Folks, that includes parents. It includes teachers, it includes students, it includes husbands, it includes wives, it includes your neighbor, it includes everybody that lives, including you. You're not exempt. Oh, it does say, if anyone, it would be better for him except for Alex. You see, he immediately wants to put his name in there as an exception. If a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. And the thing that causes them to stumble is doing the wrong thing toward that young one. Verse 3, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. That's a responsibility. And if he repents, forgive him. So what's, what's necessary for him, for you to forgive someone, what must they do in this verse? What does this verse say in verse verse four? What what is uh, in verse three? What does it say that if one wants to be forgiven, what is their responsibility? That is that is to repent. No matter which side of the coin you're on. Yes. You are. Explain what repent means. Repent simply means to get in alignment with. It means to get in step with the metronome. Beep, 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 beep. It really doesn't have anything to do with being sorry. Nothing to do with being sorry. That, that is a shameful Calvinistic theory. Now, there is a sorrow unto repentance that Paul talks about in Romans. But uh, it is that we can have such a personal sense of sorrow that it leads us to repentance. But repentance and sorrow are not, they don't necessarily tie together. The yeah, <clears throat> version here says back on course. Back on course. Get back, okay, that, that's a good one. You should have that. Did you put my name on that? It's a little DT, but. Okay. <laughs> that's all we need. <laughs> To get back on course. All you need to see is someone to get back on course. And I'll tell you something. When, it, when you see somebody that they're, they're always crying over every little thing, you know that they're just as insincere as they can be. Sincerity does not necessarily, I'm not saying tears are always wrong. Don't, that isn't what I said. But when it's perpetual, people think that that will work your emotions to where they'll put their arms around you. You'll put your arms around them and everything is okay no matter what they do. And that's, as Tanya would say, that's hogwash. Now let's go to, let's go to Colossians chapter 3, Alex. 
Colossians chapter 3a. I'm hoping that I can uh, cover this quick enough today and still... I want to finish up the, some of the ideas from yesterday. Now, what we're going to read about here, now listen. If you're not seated, get seated. First of all, how do we avoid violating laws one and two? That's a good question. How do we avoid violating laws one and two? How do you avoid them? Secondly, we're going to look at from this passage of Scripture uh, how to keep our own sanity if we are violated by one of these laws, laws one or two. See that? This, this passage of Scripture is meant because it's dealing about this subject. I've heard, by, I've heard preachers read through this, and they have not a clue as to what it accomplishes. What it accomplishes that if you follow it and do what it says to do, which he has given to you, and because you have the capacity of doing something about it, you, you have the capacity to avoid being a violator of law one and two. You don't have to commit either of those areas of sin. Do not have to do it. Secondly, if someone breaks those and violates those laws in regard to you, this verse tells you how to keep your sanity because the verse is dealing with both spectrums of laws one and two. What did I say? Ch uh, chapter what? Three? three Colossians, three, Colossians 3. And what verse? Eight, I think, David. Good. I'm glad somebody's got a memory. <clears throat> but now you all also. You got that? Okay. So now the you there is referring to the audience, the listening audience. I really, I really should go back. But you know, I, I, gotta, I just got to, I can't do it today. That's not the purpose of this ba bi basic Bible study. And we're kind of in the fringe work here. But now you also put them all aside. Now he's given us, he's going to give us the clue to the answer of how to avoid, and secondly, how to keep your sanity if you have been violated. Both of them are wrapped up in this. Notice what he says. Put them aside. Who put them aside? You do. Which means that you can't because you're depraved, right? Isn't it interesting that all the verses that these people use who believe in the total depravity of man out of the realm, out of the framework of Calvinism, all have particular verses and they think they have an understanding of them, but they tell you you can't understand your verses because you're depraved? You didn't catch that, did you? Yeah. You did? Yeah. Uh, okay, some of you are you're just too sharp. Um, put these aside. Now, if you put these things aside, you'll neither commit, you'll neither commit a violation of laws one and two, nor, or you will have the right, right way of responding if you are a, have been violated by the breaking of laws one and two. Put aside. Put them aside. Put them aside. You have the will. You have the you have the capability of putting it aside. Anger. 
We talked about anger last week. We, we, we introduced that, how we have to deal with anger because anger creates all kinds of internal problems. You know, I like to be somewhat careful of what I eat, but I know one thing, but when the Bible says be thankful for whatever you're eating, if you're thankful, that's a whole lot better issue than eating all just the right foods and not being, not being thankful. Being thankful is what makes your food digest right. It's your attitude by which you come to your meal. You have to be in the right frame of mind for food to be properly consumed by your body. And if you're all stressed out, and by the way, I don't even believe in stress, but some people do. I mean, they've been wrong in other areas too. But stress is a self-inflection. It doesn't really exist. We can put everything aside that we that causes what we think is stress. But we like to use that where I'm all stressed out because it becomes an excuse. That's all. It's just an excuse for, for misconduct, and we need to cut it out. Put aside anger. Put it aside. Put aside what it leads to, wrath. Put aside malice. That is the establishment of an evil intent towards someone who has done you wrong. Now, if you put all of these aside, not only will you not not do the wrong thing towards someone, but if someone has done the wrong thing towards you, it gives you the solution to how to deal with it. So you live freely. And Jesus said, if you follow my truth, you shall be, the truth shall set you free. That's freedom of life. These are the things that enslave you. You are enslaved if you don't deal with these things. Malice, slander. And we won't make that last one because that catches all of us. Abusive speech. Right? you got to go ahead and do it anyway. See, all of those things engender trouble. It deepens the trouble. And if you allow any of those things to be a part of your life, you're much more prone to violate laws one and two, or if you don't deal with these issues, you're very prone to developing these as a result of having been violated by laws one and two and causing a problem. He goes on to say in verse 9, Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with his evil practices. And have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created, uh, created him. Now let's go over to the book of Ephesians. I think that's adequate there. Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and then um, we'll see what we can do from there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, developing your attitude toward being false and telling lies without getting caught. Okay, oh, 
That's what it says. Well, I guess I just lost half my audience. You see, it says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, putting it aside. Who can do that? Putting it aside, putting it aside, just laying it aside. That's an act that anyone is capable of. Speak truth. What law would that be violating? Number one, for sure, and could very likely lead into number two. Laying aside falsehood, speak with each one. Speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and sin successfully. Oh, if you're going to be anger, ang- angry, yet do not sin. And then he puts a time restraint on it. The, how you keep it from working and growing into sin is you always deal with the source of your, what you anticipate to be your anger the day that you have it. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Then you begin to brood over it. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it grows into um, things that are so self-destructive. So if, you, if, there is a, if there is a reason for you to be angry, and there is often times for anger, don't let it get to you and don't use it as a means of violating somebody else. See, that's the limitation. And take, make sure that you take care of your anger the day, that day. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Uh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, verse 31 Because all of these things tie in together. Let all bitterness. Remember in Hebrews, we talked about that last week. The source of bitterness. The source of bitterness is not responding to the graciousness of God. That we have overlooked it. We have not allowed God's grace to influence how we act and how we think. We act outside of that. Let all, and that produces bitterness. Bitterness, anger, or other way around, it works both ways. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So how are we to keep our sanity if we are violated by either law one or two? And that is to put away, to put away, to put away the things that would give us the capability of violating either of those two laws. We don't do them because we don't allow those attitude issues to get a hold and control our thinking. That's why we have to, we must always keep our minds responding thoughtfully to whatever happens to us. And secondly, how, how do we um, keep our sanity if we are violated? It's by honoring these verses that we read today. Folks, that is the solution. You may not see it, but don't blame me because you are blind. 
We can't we can't let our emotions control our actions. You cannot allow your emotions to control your thinking. That that is the epitome of weakness. <clears throat> now I want to say just a word before we move on, and that's vertically. It's a different story. Um thinking about how I can do this in a real brief time here. When, when, when we turn to look at it vertically, we have a different situation. When man, what man struggles to do horizontally, that is either violating or being violated, we have a problem. Those are issues. And all of the New Testament deals with how to deal with that issue. That's the issue of the New Covenant. That's the issue. Why is that? I, I've got I've, I've to go to James 3. Go to James 3. <clears throat> I got a phone call last night at 9 o'clock from a preacher. He just listened to lesson number three. I have no clue what was in lesson number three. He just couldn't understand where we were coming from. <clears throat> but at least he called. The only thing I didn't appreciate about his call. Nine o'clock at night. It was, yeah. All right. <clears throat> James chapter three, verses eight and nine. No one can tame the tongue. Now, if anything, if anyone says they have, that's the most evident proof that they haven't. No one can tame the tongue. What do you think he means by no one? No one. Not one person. No, no, can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. It is, has, it's not tied to any purpose. That's what the word evil means. Not tied to purpose. Well, consistently. Not consistently. And is full of deadly poison. Are you in David? Uh, verse 8. James 3, 8. Okay, full of deadly poison. Boy, do we know how to, do we know how to be a serpent when it comes <clears throat> to that. You see, our words are just as poisonous to other people as the venom of a rattlesnake. Once spoken, it can't be taken back. That's right. That's right. And that reemphasizes, Ted, the emphasis that we made that in human, human to human, horizontal relationships, they are very, very difficult to prevent the violation, and if there is a violation, to heal them because a lot of them just simply cannot be undone, cannot be undone to everybody's satisfaction. That's what's different with where we're going right now. So keep that in mind. I'm glad for that. So we're talking about why here in verse, uh, where I was going here in verse, uh, verse 9, with that tongue, on one hand, we speak well. The word bless is eulogy. It means to speak well of God of our Lord and Father, and with it, the very same tongue 
We speak ill, we speak evil of our fellow man. Did you ever hear anybody who spoke evil of their fellow man and still had a capacity of speaking well of God? Yes. No, you're pulling my leg. See, he's not saying here because because men aren't bad. But when you speak about man in general and you curse them, that means to speak evil of. It's the opposite of the word bless. Did you hear what I heard this morning? Oh, I've been so blessed by God. What do they mean? They mean that, well, they got a car. They got gas for the car. What's that got to do with that? Anything? Not a thing. Not a thing in the world. The word bless comes from the word eulogy, and it means just what you say. It has nothing to do with a present has nothing to do with a gift, has nothing to do with a thing. It has to do with words that come out of your mouth. When we bless God, we don't give God a loaf of bread. When it says in Ephesians 1, 4, that we bless God, it means that we speak well of God. Here it says with this tongue, we speak well of God on one hand. We speak well of God, well, that, we would figure that, but with the very same tongue we curse men. Now, what's, what's the dilemma here? Because men have been made in the likeness of God. So whatever man does to man affects your relationship with God vertically. Folks, that's the theme of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Anything that man does against man is a sin vertically against God first. That's why he wants it to resolve all of our attitude problems and all of our conduct issues with our fellow man. Why? Because we've been made in the likeness of God. I don't care whether you like that or not. That's the way it is. Now, we, when I came this morning, um, somebody had left a bag of tomatoes out on the front door. Don't know who that was. And you know how we think about tomatoes here? We throw them at me. They throw them at me. So there's a whole bag of them out there. And by the way, take as many of those as you can. They're wonderful tomatoes. I don't remember who brought them last year, but they're really excellent tomatoes. So anyway, from the same mouth proceed both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Why? Because sometimes we forget that that guy we don't like, who's doing the wrong thing, we forget that he also is made in the likeness of God. That doesn't mean his conduct is, but he has all of the capacity. And folks, when we speak evil of someone, we're talking about who we really think they are, not just their conduct. These things ought not to be this way. My, that's as clear as it can be. These things ought not to be this way. That means, as of right now, you stop it. What? You're not continuing that way. It has to come to an end, and it needs to come to an end right now. It needs to come to an end with our children. It needs to come to our, with an end to us, toward everybody, toward them, toward us, all the way through every 
sector of life. Folks, we have to deal with the true issue. So out of anger we condemn, but that's not man's role. Forgiveness is granted to those who ask for it, but is always the pardon for condemnation. Forgiveness removes the pardon. Forgiveness provides the pardon for our condemnation of somebody in their action toward us, and we're speaking particularly toward us individually. See, when we now now we're going to switch this. What man struggles to do horizontally, God can do vertically. And that's back to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. When we violate horizontal laws, they become vertical violations against God. Why? Because of what we just read in James 3. When we violate one another, we are violating God. Why? Because man is made in the image and the likeness of God. And when you violate your fellow man, you are in that way violating God. Now, God has things that he wants us to do for reconciliation. But when God forgives, different than you and me, when God forgives, it's different than how you and I can forgive. We always have a memory. And we can only forgive when someone asks us for forgiveness. And when we forgive, it's because we have placed a condemnation. And forgiveness is the pardon of having condemned someone. Folks, that's not the human role. When we violate horizontal laws, we we violate God. And they become vertical because they affect you and God together. And that's what we discussed from James chapter 3. Now, when when God forgives, God has provided us with a method of reconciliation. We're not there. We're way ahead of ourselves, folks. We're not there yet. I don't have a right at this point to talk to you about reconciliation. I just want to make this statement. We have not earned the right to talk about that yet. We have not yet verified that the scriptures are true. We've not verified that. So we ought not go there, but I I have to because of uh, where I've been forcefully led. (laughs) You see, when God forgives, his forgiveness results in justification. Now, keep this in mind. Now is not the time that we're going to explore all of this. Justification means just as if it had never happened. When you make things right with God about what you have done to your fellow man, all of the vertical laws have to do with bringing you to reconciliation about how you have treated your fellow man. Did you get that? 
When God forgives, He justifies. That means and results in the receive the, the removing of guilt. It means there is no longer any condemnation. That process is called redemption. And redemption is made by the word we use as atonement. It means you have reestablished your oneness with God. We, as the scripture says, be ye therefore reconciled to God. We have to develop a sensitivity to God that but that sensitivity to God must begin with a sensitivity toward people because folks are being reunited with God depends on us reconciling ourselves with our fellow man and God has provided a way then for us to be reconciled to him that we broke when we sinned against our fellow man. Anybody have a question on that? I see that as the fundamental principle of the scripture. Now let's look at Ephesians 4.32 and we'll close. When you're talking about the redemption, you just say you're thinking of the, the ability to actually do it. When you go to someone and say, hey, I don't like this, but I'm going to forgive you. Whoa, you've, you've totally negated what your intent was because that, that says that you judge them for what they have done and they don't want to be judged and they don't care if you unjudge them. <laughs> so well, unjudged. Well, I don't know what, how else. <laughs> Where do you want to go from there? No. How do you, how do you, how do you actually put that into practice? Oh, um, which part? Anyhow, it's break. all just so huge. Well, it is a big issue. Yeah. But, it, it's but what, it's what we deal with day in and day out. But this is the real life. You're, you're asking a question that deals with real life. How do we really do it? How do we put it into action? You know, we need a class of psychology here, don't we? <laughs> but but that's biblical. See, the, the and first of all, we we have to de- develop an attitude. Our attitudes have to be right, and it is a matter of judgment. We have. It's not wrong to judge. It says the righteous judge all things. But it says that we are not to judge according to what. Judge not according to. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Who knows? What is it? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Let's look at it. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. So that's the basic thing that people are thinking about. Well, you know, I I know that I violated you. I I know that I pulled your hair out. I know that I gouged your eyes out. I know that what I did caused you to lose your arm. But so what? You can't judge me for having done that. And if we kept going down in this context, let's not do it. We're out of time. It'll say, but we are not to judge according to 
appearance. You familiar with that? We do not judge according to appearance. How things appear to us. Nothing concrete. It's just that, you know, we think that that person, you know, that person that has colored hair, you know, dyed their hair funny. Uh, they they probably have something right. <laughs> Why would we want to make a judgment like that? <laughs> but that's that's we're not to judge according to appearance. That's how things appear to us. We are to judge. It says in this very chapter, we are to make righteous judgment. Look at what it says in verse six. Do not give what is holy to the dogs. Do not throw. Is that a judgment? Sure it is. Do not throw your pearls before swine. He's talking about your truths of God's word. Don't give them to the pigs. Because there are people like that. Or they will trample them under their feet and turn and turn and tear and rend you to pieces. And so that chapter goes on and on. But folks, it teaches us, first of all, that that must not be our disposition we are not overwhelmed with the idea of needing to judge every little thing in life. We are to not judge by appearance, that's another passage, but we are to uh, judge righteous judgment, and there are same things in life that we have to make a determination, but the standard by which we make that determination is the Word of God. What's the truth? And if it's the truth, That is our judge. We are not the judge in ourselves, but the Bible is the judge. And it judges every thought. It judges every intent of the heart. And if we are in harmony with the word, we will participate in that judgment with God. And remember this, that you either judge with God or you judge against him. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm saved by the bell, but I really want to deal uh, with um, Santa's issue. How do, I, I need for her to explore that with me a, a little bit more. You can talk it over with Tanya if you want to. I didn't quite get it the first time. <laughs> well, then it's, I'm sorry. But we need, we need, I need somebody to work with her to, to work out really what it is so that we can deal with it, because that's why we're here. We're here to deal with real issues. And we will attempt to do that next week, and uh, uh, we'll attend to not take the whole classroom class time up on that, but we, we will plan to get back into Basics Chapter 6. Father, we are thank you, thank, thankful for the discussion today, for the good questions. Thankful that we have solutions in the Bible to the problems that we face, Not every day, but throughout our lives, we do face them, and hopefully we will have a way of dealing with them. And I know that each person has a unique way of carrying out your word. In Jesus' name, amen.